Good morning, church. It's great to see all of you here. Um, we do praise God and celebrate the births, uh, many births in our community. I also want to let you know about two deaths in our community recently. Um, some of you may know Anna Desjarnet and her husband Rick. Anna's father, um, Harry Hanger, has had a long battle with ALS, and he died uh, this week. Um, and it's been a very hard journey for that whole family. And Harry's funeral service is today at 2 p.m. here in the sanctuary so if you know Anna um, or Rick, if you could pray for them and perhaps come to the service today at 2 to support them. Um, also, Becky Slutweg, who has been a long-time member and worshiper here, to, in, who is Sue Hendrickson's mother, she also died this week. Um, and that was after a long battle of illness. Um, the family is relieved that she is free of pain, but they grieve. And so uh, there will be a, a visitation today at the Bennett Funeral Home from 2 to 5, um, and then the service will be at some point in the future. We'll let you know about that. Friends, even in the face of death, we celebrate the joy of the resurrection. Uh, it is uh, the Easter season. We, as Christians, do not just celebrate Easter one Sunday and move on. Uh, the historic church uh, has set aside 50 days to celebrate Easter. As you can see in our calendar here, we've moved out of the season of repentance and, and, uh, and a time of, of mourning and preparation of Lent, and we've moved into this season of joy and celebration of Easter. It takes at least 50 days, I'd say way more than that, to plumb the depths of the implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today we get to look at one of these amazing stories about the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus in Luke 24 as we're finishing up the book of Luke together. Um, so if you open your Bibles or your bulletins to Luke 24, let me read, uh, let me pray as we go to God's word. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is not just a, a dead word on a page. It is a living word that the spirit comes and fills with power. And we pray today, especially today, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to experience the risen, living Jesus among us. We pray in his name. Amen. Luke 24, 13 through 35. Friends, this is God's word. It is absolutely true. And it is given to each of you in love. Now that same day, that is that first Easter morning, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? He said. Don't you love Jesus? He's just messing with them. <laughs> what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And some of our women have amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, come on, stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. A few years ago on a cold uh, January morning, a young man walked into a DC metro station and he pulled out a violin and he began to play. And he played for about 45 minutes during rush hour. Uh, It was estimated that about a thousand people walked by. And in that 45 minutes, only six people stopped to listen. Only 20 people gave him money. And he collected a total of $32 in 45 minutes. When he finished playing, no one noticed. No one applauded. He just packed up his violin and walked away. The violinist was Joshua Bell one of the greatest musicians in the world. In those 45 minutes, he was playing some of the most complicated and intricate pieces of music ever written for the violin, and he was playing them on a Stradivarius that was worth $3.5 million. (laughs) Just two days prior to this subway performance, he had played to a sold-out concert hall in Boston where tickets were more than $100 a pop. Yet here he is in the subway, and no one saw. No one recognized him. Everyone missed the glory right in front of them. Friends, this story in the book of Luke is about that, missing what is right in front of you. And in this case, it is the risen Lord Jesus. It's Easter, friends. It's Eastertide. We celebrate this glorious fact that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. And he is risen and reigning over heaven and earth. And because of the person of the Holy Spirit, the risen Christ is with us. He's among us. He's within us. He's around us. He is even here at this moment at work in our lives every day. And this is a story about how easy it is to miss him. How easy it is to miss him. Remember, Luke was writing. If you can remember way back to Luke 1, Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus, who is not yet a Christian, who is blind to the person of Jesus. And so Luke is writing him. He includes this lovely story at the end of his book because he wants his friend Theophilus to see. He wants him to see the risen Jesus. And so he's inviting Theophilus. He's inviting us to put ourselves in the place of these disciples and to ask, in what ways are we missing Jesus? In what ways are our eyes blind to the risen living Jesus who might be right in front of us? And how might our eyes be open to see him freshly again? 
The key to life, friends, the key to spirituality is seeing what is right in front of you, seeing what is true, seeing the risen Jesus. So I just want to do this in two simple parts today. First, we're going to look at blindness to Jesus, what keeps us blind to the risen Jesus. And secondly, we're going to look at seeing Jesus, what helps us open our eyes to see the living Jesus. So first, let's look at blindness to Jesus. What are some of the things that keep us blind to the risen presence of Jesus? The first, this might be too simple to say, but I think it's worth saying, is unbelief. These two disciples had been told that Jesus was alive, but they just didn't believe it. And because they refused to believe, they couldn't see Jesus. They were blinded by their unbelief. Their sight was literally determined by their lack of faith. I, know, I, I can really believe this happened because something like this happened to me. Uh, about 10 years ago, um, I was with my best friend, one of my best friends, Ramesh. He and I uh, flew over to London for his 30th birthday so that he could fulfill his dream of seeing uh, a Liverpool soccer game. And so we were there in London, and unbeknownst to him, one of our other best friends, Danny Avula, who some of you know, had also flown over to surprise Ramesh. So Danny and I had decided beforehand we would have this secret rendezvous place in a shawarma falafel shop in East London. So Danny showed up before we got there, and somehow he persuaded the owner of the falafel shop to let him behind the counter and put on a falafel (laughs) shop uniform. And so... So Ramesh and I walk into this falafel shop, and there's Danny sitting behind the counter, standing behind the counter. Now, I just kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything. And Ramesh, I promise you this happened. He walked right up to Danny. This is a man that we have, you know, we lived together for four years. He walked right up to him, looks him in the face, and orders a falafel. (laughs) And Danny was amazing. He just, he disguised his voice. He said, five pounds, please. (laughs) Ramesh pulls out the money, hands him the money, and then turns to me and says, this guy looks just like Danny. (laughs) I am not joking. This actually happened. How could that happen? How could could Danny be standing right in front of Ramesh and Ramesh not see him? I'll tell you why. Because Ramesh's beliefs were shaping his vision. He could not see Danny because his beliefs told him that Danny was a thousand miles away. His beliefs told him that Danny could not possibly be in a falafel shop in East London. And so his beliefs made him blind. And here's my point. One of the reasons you might not see the real and living Jesus is because you have chosen to believe that he isn't there. Seriously. Can I prove to you that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead and is actively at work in your life and the world? No, I can't. But neither can you prove to me that he is not. In fact, it takes just as much faith to reject the truth of the living Jesus as it does to accept it. And so if you have decided from the start that Jesus couldn't possibly be risen from the dead, that there is no spiritual reality to this world, that your life is determined by fate and your own choices, then of course you're not going to see Jesus. Because even though he might be standing right in front of you, your beliefs have made you blind. And so I'm inviting you to take a risk. Just do it as an experiment. In the 50 days of Easter, just do it as an experiment. Billions of people have believed and discovered that this is true. He's risen. So take the risk. Believe that he's true. Believe that he's real. Believe that he's alive, that he might even be right there in front of you. And if you take the risk, here is my promise to you. You will see him. You will see him. Unbelief. You might be blind to Jesus because you are choosing to be. 
Second, religious distraction. What do I mean by that? Look at these two guys. They were disciples of Jesus. They were talking about Jesus. They were even walking with Jesus. Everything they were doing was all about Jesus, but they missed Jesus. And that reminds me a lot of religion. Does it not you? I mean, religion is, 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 can be quite problematic because people get involved in religious services. They get involved in religious activities. You can get involved in a really busy church like this one and talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus and hear about Jesus and go to meetings and small groups about Jesus. And in the process, you can miss Jesus. You know, this is a big problem actually in seminary. I went to seminary. A lot of people think, oh, seminary must be so amazing. You must just be like on the spiritual high all the time. Friends, it is not true. In fact, I saw many people lose their faith in seminary. Seminary, even for me, was a very spiritually dry time. Why? Because you spend all this time reading about God, talking about God, in classes about God, and in the process, you miss God. You actually forget to cultivate a relationship with God. God becomes objectified rather than a subject that you engage with personally. And so it may be that you know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot of you do. And it may be that you're doing lots of stuff for Jesus. This is a very active church. And maybe that you're in all sorts of meetings and classes and groups that talk about Jesus, but you're missing Jesus. And that's since you are a theoretical Christian, but a practical atheist. You are in theory and in name a Christian, but in your actual daily life, you have no vision to actually see the real living Jesus and have an active relationship with him. Theoretical Christian, practical atheist, I know they exist because I was one. And I was even in Christian leadership. And so if it can happen to me, I know it can happen to you. It is not religious activity that makes you a Christian. It is seeing and knowing the living, risen Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Another thing we see here that blinds us is experiential projection. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. These guys are relying on the experience of the women. And can we just have a shout out for the women in the book of Luke? Seriously, women. I mean, the women were the ones who brought Jesus into the world. They were the only ones there when he was crucified. They were the first ones there when he rose from the dead. And they were the first ones to proclaim his name. Friends, us lunkhead men wouldn't even be here if it weren't for the women. You know, the women carry this gospel right from the first to the end. So I am thankful I have four daughters. Thanks be to God. Um, I love you all. Um, but friends, these men were ex- relying on, on the experience of the women. They were depending on other people's experiences. They were not doing the investigative work themselves. They didn't go to the tomb. It is so easy to confuse having an experience of Jesus with experiencing other people's experience of Jesus. Are you following me? It is very easy to be involved in a church that is very active, where there's great music and good preaching, and where you are inspired, and you see people's lives changing, and you hear great testimonies. And in the midst of that, you avoid ever dealing with Jesus yourself. You're relying on other people's experiences of Jesus. You never actually get alone and do business with Jesus yourself. Experience him in your own life. And when push comes to shove, friends, you can't rely on other people's experiences of Jesus. We preach a lot about community here. Community is vital for the Christian life. But in the end, community does not save you. And certainly you cannot be saved by your friends or your spouse's relationship with Jesus. You know, when I got really sick a few years ago and almost died, and a lot of you remember that, and I had this horrible um, 
uh, abscess in my throat that was asphyxiating me. And, you know, Sarah and I deeply relied on our friends and community during that time. Our friends were amazing. The church was amazing. The support was amazing. We couldn't have done it without our friends. But I tell you what, when they wheeled me into that operating room and I had 90 minutes left to live, who was in that operating room? None of y'all. Not even Sarah. It was just me and Jesus. And there are going to be moments like that in your life. There are going to be moments when all the relationships that you depend on are stripped away. And in that moment, I'm telling you, friends, you cannot rely on another person's experience of Jesus for you. In that moment, you either have an actual relationship and experience with Jesus yourself, or if not, you are truly, utterly alone. And so have you, have you dealt with him yourself? Or are you relying on other people's experiences of Jesus? The last thing I'll say is this, is hopelessness. The fact is, look at that. It says they, were, they sat there with their heads downcast. Their dreams had been shattered. The person they thought was the Savior was crucified. They, and now these rumors of his, of his body being missing, they're confused. It's almost like their despair, confusion, and hopelessness has created a shroud, a cloud of despair that is preventing them from seeing the risen Jesus that is standing right in front of them. It is often what hopelessness does, friends. Many of you are in this place. Some dream in your life has been shattered. You've ended up in a really painful and unfulfilling marriage. You never got the children that you wanted. The children that you you do have have maybe gone a path that you hope they wouldn't go. The job you're in is never what you wanted. It's unfulfilling. Your financial struck. Someone or something you love deeply has been taken from you. You're shattered. You're angry at God, maybe, because your life did not turn out the way that you wanted it to. And I want you to hear me, friends. There is nothing wrong with discouragement. There's nothing even wrong with anger at God. God welcomes that. We see that in the scriptures. But when you live in a sustained place of discouragement, and that becomes eventually hopelessness, which then becomes cynicism, which then transmutes into spiritual blindness, where your despair actually prevents you from seeing any hopeful reality of the living Jesus at all. And when that happens, friends, your despair has overwhelmed and prevented you from seeing Jesus. You have given more power to evil than you do to the living God. You give more power to the evil one who constructed and created evil rather than the God who has already conclusively destroyed it on the cross. And I say with shame that there have been many times, I've spoken to you about my struggle with depression before. I I confess to you, there have been times where I have been in such a place of despair where my amazing wife, Sarah, has said to me, what are you doing? Believe the gospel. Jesus is on the throne. And I've said, I don't care. It makes no difference to me. Why? Because my despair blinded me to the truth of the living Jesus. And that may have happened to you. Some of you may be in that place even now. Has something in your life filled you with such hopelessness that it has blinded you from seeing the risen Jesus? Here's the hope, friends. All of us are in one of these places. Unbelief, distraction, depending on other people's experience, not dealing with Jesus ourselves, hopelessness. What do you do when you're in this place? Is there hope? Yes! Jesus is alive and he is risen and he wants to open your eyes. That's God's hobby. He loves it. That's what he does for fun. He opens people's eyes. That's what God loves to do. So how how might we 
have our eyes be open to the risen Jesus. Well, let's, let's look at this passage again. First of all, we must see him in the ordinary. No one could imagine that a musician like Josh Bell would show up in an ordinary subway, so nobody saw him. In the same way, these two guys could never imagine that a newly resurrected, glorified Jesus would possibly show up on an ordinary road, on an ordinary day, in an ordinary body. But that's where he showed up, in ordinary life. If you were to translate this into modern settings, these two guys are hanging out drinking a frappuccino at Starbucks, and the guy at the next table overhears their conversation, and he begins talking to them. Turns out, it's Jesus in the Starbucks. It's Jesus on the bus. It's Jesus walking his little poodle down your suburban street. That's where Jesus is. Jesus is in the middle of ordinary life. One of the reasons you might be missing Jesus is because you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for something extraordinary. You're looking for spiritual fireworks. You're looking for blinding light. You're looking for something dramatic. Occasionally that happens, but more often than not, Jesus shows up like this. In the ordinary middle of your everyday life, in your messes, in your struggles, right there when you're wiping your kids' noses and dealing with your back pain and, and fighting with your spouse and worrying about tuition payments and dealing with this, the, the pain and the struggles of everyday life, that's where he is. And that's where he wants to meet you. That's where he wants to begin his transforming work, right in the middle of your everyday life. So stop looking for him to do something dramatic. See him in the ordinary. Tomorrow, when you are trying to get dinner on the table, and you are on your last nerve, and you have just streamed the fourth episode of some dumb kid's show on Netflix to your kids because you don't know what else to do, that is the moment where God wants to give you a vision of the living Jesus. In that moment, you can say, risen and reigning Jesus, help me in this moment. Give me the patience I do not have. Renew my life because I am empty, and you will see him right there as you want to weep over the kitchen sink. That's where he is. Like these two guys, Jesus loves to show up in times of discouragement, loneliness, hopelessness, confusion. And in those places in your ordinary life, when you can name your need and cry out for help to Jesus, those are often the places where you will look back and say, man, he was there. Man, I saw him right in the middle of my ordinary life. Number two, seek him in the scriptures. I reckon to say that if I had a time machine, I would have a short list of things I'd want to do with it. But one of the things I'd want to do is travel to verse 27, right here. When Jesus does a Bible study. Man, I would have loved to be there, right? Jesus does a Bible study. And here's a trick verse. Here's a trick question. What passage does Jesus, do you think, do a Bible study on for his disciples? Trick question. The whole Bible! <laughs> he does a Bible study on the whole Bible. Verse 27, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, no wonder it was, the sun was setting when they got to the village. <laughs> Jesus must have taken a really long time to do that. Now, here's what's amazing. You can't say that the whole Bible is about prayer. You can't say the entire Bible is about justice or the entire Bible is about marriage. Here's what you can say, friends, because of this verse. We have it right here. The entire Bible is about Jesus. Everything is about him. Every story whispers his name. And so scripture is a guaranteed place where you can meet the risen Jesus, where Jesus continues to speak by the power of Holy Spirit through his word. You could do that when you're alone with him. You could do that when you're a group of friends. We have access 
to the risen and living Jesus as he speaks to us through the power of his written word. Now, this doesn't happen automatically. Reading the Bible is difficult. There's a lot of hard things in there. I went to seminary, and I don't, you know, I struggle sometimes to read, especially the Old Testament. So you need help. They needed help. These guys have been reading the Bible their entire lives, but somehow they missed Jesus. They missed the message about the Messiah who must die and rise again. It's easy to read the Bible and miss Jesus. Sometimes we read the Bible very moralistically. You know, just take a, a, a simple story like David and Goliath. Everybody knows David and Goliath, right? Kids, you know David and Goliath. You know that story, right? So here's how I've often heard that David and Goliath story told. It's about you and overcoming your giants. And so you just have some faith and get out there and face your giant. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. So you just trust God and do it. Take them down. Whatever. <laughs> that's not what that story's about. If that's what that story's about, then that's depressing, right? That's just a little bit of inspirational nonsense. You want to know what that story is about? If all of scripture bear witness to Jesus, here's what that story is about. A king standing on behalf of his people to take down their enemies that they might be free. That's what that story is about. It is, it is speaking of that, that great son of David, that great king of David to come, who will stand and come out of his people, standing on behalf of his people, and will go to battle against the giants of death and hell and the devil himself, and will take the giant down and his people are set free by grace. That's what that story is about. All the scripture bears witness to him. Now, I had to learn that. You have to learn that. You have to be taught that. You need community. You need to go to classes that we have here. You need to be discipled by mature believers here. You need to be taught. You need time and space to spend time in the scriptures. Don't complain that you don't understand the Bible if you never read it. You take time to spend time in the scriptures. You ask someone who might be further along with you to help you read it. Did our hearts, verse 32, not burn within us while he talked with us, while he opened to us the scriptures? Has that happened to you? Do your hearts burn as you meet him in the, in the pages of his written word? Third, uh, meet him in community. Notice that all this eye-opening happens in the context of friendship and hospitality around a table. They invite this stranger in, and they gather around the table for a meal, and, and suddenly their eyes are open. The lesson here is that though Jesus makes himself known to you individually and privately, he also makes himself known through community when we gather in his name. In fact, he said it very clearly, Matthew 18, 20, when two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst. There's, you got a promise. There he is in the midst. Dorothy Lay, who's a, a friend of ours, wrote me this. She said, it has been through relationships that God has revealed so much of himself and where I have been seeing my own personal blindness through friendships that have been grounded in Christ, where we've spent time in prayer and fellowship together. The Lord has used my friends to speak truth and wisdom into my life. There are times where I have not felt God's presence. I've been ignorant to the Holy Spirit. I've been hopeless. And yet my friends, my spiritual community has helped unveil the cloud over my eyes so that I might see Jesus. It takes your friends sometimes to get you to Jesus, like those, like those friends bringing that paralyzed man to Jesus. God, Jesus saves and heals him because of their faith. Sometimes it takes your friends to point out what you can't see, to point out, to speak hope when you're feeling hopeless, to show you, hey, Jesus is right there with you. Open your eyes to see him. Finally, discover him through means of grace. Notice verse 31. It says, their eyes were opened 
and they recognized him. Notice it says their eyes were open, passive verb tense. They did not, it didn't say they opened their eyes, their eyes were open. That means that that speaks of the power of spiritual blindness, that sin can have us in such a grip that we can't even open our own eyes to Jesus. We need God through his grace to do it for us. But that doesn't mean we're helpless. It means we can put ourselves in positions and places where God promises to meet us with his grace and to open our eyes. Reformed theologians call this means of grace, the means of grace. It's a fancy way of talking about ways that God has given us that we can regularly experience his grace and where he promises to be. Let's say you have an empty bucket and you want that bucket to be filled. You can sit on your couch with that empty bucket all day long. You can wish that that bucket was filled. You can imagine how it might be filled. You can complain that it's not filled. But as long as you sit there on that couch, that bucket will remain empty. Here's what you can do. You can get up off the couch, go to the faucet, turn it on, and hold that bucket under the place where the water flows. And friends, the means of grace are the ordinary places where God has promised his water will flow. And you can get up off your couch and you can go to those places. What are they? Well, one of them is the Lord's Supper. We see it right here in verse 30. Jesus broke bread and they saw this is the one who died for us and their eyes were open. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. We do this once a month together, the first Sunday of the month. When you come to communion, you can be certain that is a place where Jesus will be. Spending time in worship and preaching. When you hear the word of God faithfully preached, you can hear the voice of Jesus. You can see the living Jesus ministering to your heart. The worship of God's people. Spending time in scripture, a means of grace. Prayer, a means of grace. Prayer on your own, prayer from other people. Through these incredibly common, ordinary things like human speech, bread, wine, water. God takes these common things to do uncommon work. They become faucets where the grace of God's water flows. So friends, if you're longing to see the risen Jesus and you want an experience of the risen Christ, instead of waiting around with your bucket, hoping that he's going to show up someday, why not go to those places where you know he's going to be? Why not go to those places where the water flows? Come regularly to worship. Hear the word of God. Get involved in Christian community. Show up at the Lord's Supper. Make space in your life for prayer and solitude and silence. Take time to meditate on the scriptures. Marinate in the word of God. Let it, let it burn in your mind and your soul. It's a whole lot better than sitting on the couch with your empty bucket life wishing that it would be filled. Go to where the grace is. Go to where the grace is. Friends, Jesus is risen from the dead. Do you believe it? He is alive. He is actively at work in your life and in the world. And the key to life, the key to spirituality is seeing him, seeing what is true. Seeing, first of all, what is true about Jesus. He is reigning. He's crucified and risen. He holds you fast. He loves you true. He's redeeming your pain. He's renewing all things. See him. And also see yourself in him. See that you are redeemed. You are rescued. You are forgiven. You are the beloved of God. You are loved by him. You are held fast in him. He is making you new. The key to life is seeing what is right in front of you. Seeing and believing what is true. Our family has gotten a little bit into this funny thing called geocaching. Have you, have you heard about geocaching? Geocaching is um, basically people all over the world and every city around the world have hidden these little, little boxes and compartments and little ordinary places all over the city. And you use a GPS device 
to find these things. And you sort of map them, and then you go to them, and you open it, and you find it under a tree or a rock, and you open it up, and there's a little treasure inside, and you can see all the people who've been there. And this is so fun. It's like a living scavenger hunt. But here's what's been amazing about it for me, is that I realized for the last 10 years, I've been walking by and driving by all of these places and totally ignorant of the fact that there be treasures there. (laughs) Behind that box, behind that... I never even knew they were there. I never knew the treasures were there. Why? I did not have the eyes to see them. Friends, do you have the eyes to see what is true, to see the living Jesus right in the midst of your ordinary life, loving you, claiming you, redeeming you? May God give us eyes to see the treasures around us in ordinary life, the living Jesus among us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is risen from the dead. And yet we often uh, forget this truth and we believe lies instead and we do not see the truth of his risen presence among us. And so I pray especially for those of us here who are struggling with despair and hopelessness and apathy and discouragement. Those many of us, including myself, who often are blind to the risen Jesus, help us, O oh God, open our blind eyes that we might see. I pray if there are any here that have never seen and experienced and tasted the grace of Jesus. I pray that they would do so today, that they would just simply say to you, Jesus, I am blind and I want to see. I am blind and I want to see. And we pray that you would open eyes today, even today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.